Another edition of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. This is episode 22. And uh, joining me, as always, is my co host, uh, Jim Passon Jr. Jim. Hey, how you doing tonight? And uh, our very special guest this week is Mr. Chris Kamka from NBC Sports Chicago and uh, of his uh, great Twitter personality as well. We appreciate you joining us on your ride home from work, no less. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's good to record a podcast because then I don't have to listen to it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that's nice about recording them is that you already know what happened. You don't have to go back. So, Chris, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, we start our podcast and, and you know, you were, a, you know, you were just talking off the off the air, so to speak. Uh, you're a fan of the Sabercast and and Rob Nyer, uh, host of the Sabercast, and I tend to start with the same question for our guests. So uh, what is what is your baseball origin story? Where does where does square one start for you with baseball? Well, uh, as the story goes, or at least the way my mom likes to tell it, I learned how to read on the backs of baseball cards. And I was reading, she says, around probably age three and a half already, I was able to read. And it's those, you know, those 80s tops cards that just, they just fueled my imagination, fueled my love for baseball. Um, you know, sitting in front of the TV, watching baseball games while sorting cards is my childhood. I had a binder with me every time I left the house, uh, we'd go to a restaurant, go to a family occasion. There was always a binder of baseball cards with me. I just had to have them, my security blanket. And um, I, I haven't changed much. Wow. Were you, were you a pack, you were a pack opener, right? You you would buy by the pack or would you buy by the box or, or um, you buying by well, the set? Packs. For sure, at first, um, and then I graduated the boxes, and uh, I do everything now. Well, less less boxes than everything else. I just got home from spring training. Um, my first stint there. I'm going back a little later, but I, I came back from my first stint of spring training with five sets of cards wow. my <laughs> that I bought. You got some it's work. Like, you got some work ahead of you. <laughs> it's like you're still twelve. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Yeah. So when uh, when you sorted your cards as a kid uh, and to set up your binders, were they by teams? Did you go by numbers? Uh, how did you do that? Did you keep your sets together? All of the all of the above. Um, I had um, let's see, mostly numerical, but then I'd go to teams, then I'd go back. Um, I did other sports too, like for example. I did my hockey cards by where they're from. Uh, I right. did what country they're from. I did my basketball cards by height once. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've done I've done all these things, and then change your mind, and you have to go 
from binder to the box to the individual sleeves and it's just you change your mind but hey you, you keep going or one time i did all my um i did them all by player so i broke up all my sets and then like did all the top players together but then they left holes in the pockets and the pages yeah and like that so i put them back you know you can't ever settle on one idea you go from one thing to the next and then back again but that's okay it's fun it's something to do you have you absolutely have no more mint cards left in your collection right right because there's no way not with that much activity all my old ones aren't that's for sure my set <laughs> i lately i just put them in the sheets and leave them there thank goodness or or the really expensive ones that aren't part of sets will be in individual cases um you know but I stopped being that collector that is out to get investments, and I buy what I like now, and it's much more enjoyable. It's kind of a little renaissance. I do some writing for the Sabre Baseball Cards blog, which nice. is fantastic for anybody who enjoys the hobby. Please check that out. There's such a great staff of writers uh, headed up by Jason Schwartz, a good friend of mine, um, and it is just tremendous stuff from from – you know, if you were just introducing a quirky set to some deep research on, on how the cards were made and how the choices were made for the cards and some deep background cuts, there's a variety of everything for every kind of collector. And it's just great stuff there. Go check it out. They're on Twitter at um, Saber. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it yeah. is off my head, but... Yeah. It's it's at Saber BB Cards S A B R B B C A R D S. Definitely check them out. It's now, a great. Follow. Now do you, now Chris, do you have a like? Is there a is there a crown jewel in your collection? Is there a is there one that really kind of sets itself out? Is there a set? Is there a card? Is there anything that you know prize possession type type card? Well, my favorite set that I own is 1975 tops. Um, I have all of them from 74 to 94, but 75 with all the color is just amazing. I've got a few great singles. Um, for example, I've got a 1914 Ray Schalk Cracker Jack card. Uh, wow. Really uh, I have a 1956 Ted Williams is another one of my favorites. Um, nice. I have like a 1988 collegiate Frank Thomas card. It's from, from Auburn and it's just you rarely ever see them, and those are just a few of my favorites. Right, and and do you develop? I guess like you know, in, and for me, not being as as immersed in the culture, like, is there a certain gold standard for you know for like a, a set? Is there a sort of holy grail out there that you that you find yourself like if something if it were ever to pop up, you'd be like oh like drop everything you know type. Well, yeah, there's one for me. I mean, it varies from collector because collectors have different things that they focus on. Sure. Um, right now, there's one card that if I saw it, I, I'd have to, you know, deeply consider it. It's a 1945-46 um, Cuban card of Mini Minoso. And um, I got the one from the year after that a couple of weeks ago. And the one before it is really tough to find, especially if you want to be able to afford it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's you know, I'm I'm a Minoso collector. Um, that's one of the the two players which I focus on the most. And um, yeah, that's that's the one I really want to get. 
I have a, I have a, a confession to make about uh, Mini Munoz in particular. So when when we were doing our, our home run date international home run database, it was a it was a succession of tweets of yours that ins, that sort of inspired me to pick Mini Munoz as the cover uh, as the photo for our nineteen I think it's nineteen fifty to sixty for the database. So uh, I can tell that you're you're you're, an, you're a Minoso enthusiast. <laughs> but yeah. Minio- Minosa could be the cover for every one of those decades for what about seven seven right. years <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's um, he's baseball's first, well, so he claims seven decade player. Yeah, um, five majors and the two additionals in the minors. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's one of those players. That I'm I have a personal campaign to get him into the Hall of Fame. I'm I'm pretty optimistic that we'll be able to do it because I think more and more people understand that you can't just go by what he did in the majors. Um, it's not fair to him because there's a whole chunk of his career prior to his major league career that he ordinarily would have had a chance to play a few more years in the majors, but didn't. I mean, if you right. take a look at all the players in the major league history that had 2,000 games played, 2,000 hits, and 200 homers, 200 steals, and a 300 batting average, um, many misses all of those except the 200 stolen bases, but he had about. 1850 games 1930 hits 186 homers and he hit 298 he goes over all those thresholds let me recount them here 2000 games 2000 hits 200 homers 200 steals and 300 batting average there's only six players in major league history to cross that they're all hall of famers you know you have uh, willie mays henry aaron um roberto alomar paul molitor um, and there's two others who did it, both Hall of Famers. I think I think Derek Cheater's one of them. Yeah, I, I, so, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And there's only six, and they're all Hall of Famers. And you know, many should have had the chance to play a little bit more. Um, but there's a lot of circumstances outside of his control that obviously, right? Um, yeah, he wasn't the first black major leaguer, but. You get to a point where the Indians had a few of them, and there was probably pushback to say, hey, there's too many on your team, you know, and they're probably, you know, told to keep it to a certain level, and then all the other teams didn't have any. Right. Which is just a a big tragedy. How many great players could we have seen either more from or some at all? I mean, take a look at the Negro League players in the Hall of Fame. How many great players right. did we chance to see in the major league uniform? Well, it goes back I mean, to you know Oscar Charleston, you know the guys that don't get the recognition they deserve. Cool Papa Bell, and I know Cool Papa's in, but like, but you, but then you look at like even Satchel Paige, who's in the Hall of Fame, but I mean with less, like I think it's like a hundred and seventy-one like games, like appearances or something. I, it's, I think he was forty-six well, when he made his major league debut. Yeah, or allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, see, Satchel and Minnie have something in common. There's always that little bit of doubt about what their true age was which is fun you know fun for the lore of the game and i think those those stories and and tall tales of the players are very important to our appreciation of these players and and kind of the love we have for them 
Right, and you know Chicago. You know you 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 know you're from uh, you you're from Chicago, or at least I, I assume you're from Chicago. You work in Chicago. Uh, you're you're a big Chicago sports fan. There's a really rich culture in a lot of that, you know, in in a lot of the Negro leagues and a lot of that, you know, uh, that sort of lore, if you will, in, in the game. Oh yeah, for sure. Back to Minoso, first Chicago major league black player. Uh, right. And at the time, Chicago was the number two city in America. L.A. had yet to pass them. And that's a big deal. I mean, if you're the second biggest city in the country uh, and to be the first black player representing that city, it's a big deal. Chicago does have a huge Negro League history and tradition. Back from Rube Foster and the Chicago American Giants to the first Negro League East-West game, which is 1933 at Comiskey Park, which was held all the way through mid 50s right and beyond i mean that, and there's a rich history in fact uh, there's a book uh, on old comiskey park in which i wrote the chapter of eager league baseball at comiskey park um so i i detailed it there um but yeah there's a big history of that and something to really be proud of and it's something that you can see many's footprint baseball history if you go around guaranteed rate field or the south side of Chicago. Everyone right. has his autograph. Everyone has stories. Everyone bumped into him at the supermarket and he's wearing his Mini Minoso seven decades in baseball hat. Um, right. well, he, he had that hat on at all times. I was lucky enough to get one for a gift. Um, it, it's, just, it's just a great, rich history here in Chicago. Uh, and I love it. Yeah, I love the fact that you, uh, you you campaign for him, right? Um, being somebody like you that has the love for the game that you have, the ability that you've done researching all your life on the backs of cards all the way to the position that you're at as, as a job now. Um, so you create such a great account with just your C. Kampka account, but you also got the mini number nine Hall of Fame account, HOF. And because of who you are and how much you can do uh, research-wise, it makes that case so much stronger for for Minoso, Minoso to get into the Hall of Fame, and so I'm I'm super excited that you're the one that's running that account because the information that you're digging up and the comparisons that you make are just they're they're tremendous. I mean, I, I was looking at it just today, right, just moments ago, and like you had on base percentage for rookies, right. Um, since 1947, integration era, since they've handed out the Rookie of the Year award. And nobody had a higher on-base percentage in their rookie season that qualified for a batting title than many, right? And just a hair over Aaron Judge, which sparks me as a Yankee fan. But, <laughs> I, mean, how, I mean, how do you find this stuff? I mean, I know I'm always out there looking for stats too, but the work you do is amazing. Well, it's just, you know, you have your nose in baseballreference.com at all times. And things are just going to jump out at you that are interesting. And, you know, if you look at it enough, something's going to jump out of the page, like one of those stereograms. You're staring at the picture, and then finally a unicorn jumps out at you. It's the same thing. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's not a – I just want to see him in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, you know, particularly seek any credit for it. I no. just think that it deserves to be there. Uh, it would it would make me pleased as a baseball fan to see that happen. Sure. Um, you know he's no longer with us, but his family sure deserves to see it. Uh, yeah. His fans 
deserve to see it. There's enough of them that I know that would very much appreciate him to get into the Hall of Fame. And fortunately, there's a lot of people within the baseball community who know and understand his legacy that I think that enough of the voices are going to speak up and eventually um, that committee is going to figure it out and, and do what's right, put him in the Hall of Fame. Right. Yeah, it'd be huge for the Cuban community too, right? Down in Cuba itself or Southern Florida. It's just, yeah, he's such a, a name for them. It's, it's right. yeah. Well, it's a name for the White Sox with, with such a rich history of Cuban players. I mean, look at their team right now Jose Abreu, um, Jan right. Moncada, mm-hmm. and right now Luis Robert. Uh, that, that's amazing. And, and they had before that, they had Alice Ramirez, who. There's this video out where after he died, um, Ramirez wore a number nine on opening day in 2015. And he was choked up when they were talking about Minnie, his impact and what he meant to him. Yeah. And that was right, right. No, no, it's it, he's he is a, uh, a critical figure uh, in, in Cuban history and, and, and in baseball history, really. And, well, and he deserves the recognition. Well, yes, because he, I mean, if you look at it, and I was looking at this the other day, you know, so in modern Major League history, Jackie was first, and he was followed by Larry Doby, mm-hmm. and then Hank Thompson and Willard Brown were next, and Don Newcomb um, was, I believe, fifth, Campanella sixth, um, Page seventh, and Minnie was the eighth. And the first one born in Latin America. So there was the racism and, and prejudice because he was black, but he also had the language barrier as well. Right. And he was the first star to have both of those things, you know. And then if you read newspaper clippings of him back in those days, you would have him quoted with this ridiculous, insulting English that they would describe to him. Like, I eat the peach and all that nonsense. Right. That's like. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, and nobody should have to deal with that. Right. And, uh, I mean, he came first. I mean, there was him and then Clemente and Cepeda and all of, think about all of the great dark-skinned Latinos that are in baseball today and since many, many was the first superstar of them. Right. Yep. No, you're you're exactly right, and and to overcome all that and put up those types of numbers that he was posting, right? I mean, over fifty career WAR. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he really he was really good. He was a dominant player in the fifties. He was a top ten position player in the fifties. I think any way you want to cut it, it's right there for you if you dig into it. I mean, right. There's five players during the fifties that hit four hundred on base and a three hundred batting average. And it's Mantle, Musial, Jackie, Minnie, and Ted Williams. Right. Those, <laughs> pretty that's, so- that's not a elite company. I don't know what is. Right. It's a pretty solid group. Right. That's I pretty- agree. Um, I did have kind of a question, kind of not not breaking away from Minnie, but like kind of go, piggybacking off that a little bit. Like we've just talked, referenced statistics like like wins above replacement and things like that. G- given your your baseball card background. Was it was it at all difficult for you? Not difficult, but like you, you think about the baseball card stats, which many by by modern analytical standards would be like considered like the old school stats: batting average, home run, home runs, RBIs. 
Um, did you find, was that sort of the basis for you to get into the deeper level statistics or did you at first think like, was there a time where you thought, okay, these baseball card stats, like, was it hard for you to break away from those? No, I mean, the, the news, you know, of course, yes, the, the baseball cards were the basis and it wasn't difficult because what it was is you're looking at new numbers to enhance my knowledge of baseball and enhance my ability to know who was better right. and, and, and you know it takes a little bit of work to figure out what they mean and how to use them properly but it's work that's worth doing um, and then you know from baseball cards I stumbled upon baseballreference.com and probably right around the time it was launched probably right around 2000 I, I was working in a bank and I was work, it was a it was a bank that was open really late, and there was a lot of dead time. And I started browsing the computer, and I stumbled upon this amazing website. And at first, I started just printing out pages of all the different players that were my favorites. I printed them all out, and then I highlighted who led the league. And then I started writing notes on each page. And I started an entire binder of these printed pages from Baseball Reference. And I started adding anecdotes and. And, and pictures and it became like an amazing baseball scrapbook and it, it was really something that helped me learn a lot of things i'd write quotes from other people i'd write quotes from those players and compile so much information to learn about all of them and learn about all of the hall of famers and black and white photos that i'd never heard of before and who led the league in these things who was the first to do this who was that and find out who these people were and then from there, I, you know, looking at the leaderboards, I really didn't know a whole lot about Ty Cobb at all. He really intrigued me, so I picked up that book. The, the, the book on which the movie Cobb was based, Yeah. which, you know, looking back on that in retrospect, right, so a lot of that book was just made up. Right. But, but the story was so compelling about how could this person even exist? He's such a, such a lunatic kind of interesting character who was just so great at what he did because he was just possessed and insisted on being the best and so then i got hooked on baseball biographies and i started buying more and i, and I became just infatuated with baseball books and to this day i i buy whatever i can and whatever looks interesting i've probably got over 700 baseball books in my library and wow yeah, I, I haven't read them all. I've read a lot of them. I've forgotten uh, way more than I, you know, I... There's so much that I've forgotten that I've already read that I have to go revisit these books, but then I keep buying more. And um, but, but it's cool, though, because at the end of the day, I go into my little library at home, and I just kind of look at the shelves and just in wonderment, like, what can I read next? And just the wonder of all of the information that's on those shelves for me to explore whenever I have time. I don't know what that would be. But soon enough, um, there's going to be time, and I can't wait to um, read everything new. I mean, I've got a bunch of new books out there, and it's just I, I love the knowledge and, and the history of the game. There's never enough time to learn everything I'd like to. Right. But, That's but what, I, yeah, so great about that baseball reference. I mean, that I didn't find it in 2000. I think uh, it was more like 2015 for me or 2016. It wasn't that long ago. And uh, but it does. It, it gives you an opportunity to learn those new stats that we were talking about, right? Where 
you know, it's it, at first you see like OPS, and you're like, okay, I get OPS. I'm, I've always known that one, but then you see OPS plus, and then you dig into just how simple it is and what it really actually means, and uh, and how it puts your eras together, and and make sure that you understand how valuable somebody was from that perspective. And uh, yeah, next thing you know, yeah, those new numbers. They just give you more to look for. They give you more things to to dive into. It gives you and, a thread but, to tie everything together. Yeah, and then on top of it, it also increases the uh, the knowledge that's out there for everybody else too. So, I mean, part of the reason why he's got seven hundred books in his library is you know some of it's responsible is it's, it's the responsibility of of going to Baseball Reference and and being able to find information easily so that you can do stuff like that or baseball almanac things like that so that information is what creates uh this beast that we call christopher campa right so <laughs> the be- when beast we mean affectionately chris <laughs> yeah, yeah that, ac- that account of yours is is awesome <laughs> so the uh it's just go ahead it's, like a ho- it's just kind of like a hobby and i'm like I'd never been one to foray much into social media, and that's kind of what got me started in it. And um, I still don't really enjoy any other forms of it. I'm in it for the information and uh, just the the entertainment with fellow fans to kind of share things that we love about the game. Um, That's all I'm in there for. It's interesting as somebody like you and I are very similar where – we don't always enjoy the other aspects of social media, but especially on Twitter in particular, it's given a sort of forum. It's given a sort of no frills, easy to use uh, format or a platform for for baseball fans, whether it be statistically driven or, you know, one thing I can appreciate about what you're talking about is the narrative end of baseball. You know, sometimes I feel like, we can get a little numbers heavy in, in the game sometimes these days. And it's nice to be able to weave the narrative in with the stories in with the numbers rather. So, um, so yeah, I can appreciate that for sure. We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to ha- continue to hang with uh, Chris on his ride home from work. And we're going to talk white Sox baseball. So uh, we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, listen, uh, so we're, we are hanging out with uh, Christopher Kamka here uh, on his ride home from work in Chicago to talk White Sox baseball, probably. And, you know, almost underratedly in some ways, the most exciting team from the offseason, in my opinion, because, you know, I... Um, it, you just... I looked at... I took a minute to look at the def chart, just the MLB.com def chart, and I think about this team before when the uh, the uh, after the World Series this year to now, and Chris, I mean you, the excitement has got to be like palpable uh, right in Chicago right now for this team. People are hungry for it. I mean we've, we're coming off of seven straight sub five hundred seasons, and we haven't had seven straight sub five hundred seasons for the White Sox since nineteen forty four to fifty. Wow. And, well, kind of tying into what we talked about earlier, what did they introduce in 1951? Mini Minoso. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it all comes it, together. 
So here's 2020, and we're introducing Luis Robert, another Cuban star, who, by the way, wore number nine, the same nine that's retired from Mini Minoso. Wow. Uh, he won't be able to wear it again, obviously. It's retired. Right. Um, so he'll wear number 88. But he is the number, you know, anywhere in the top five of most prospect lists in baseball this season. Um, he is a dynamic blend of power and speed. He is a true five-tool player. Um, the one thing that people say might be a thing, you know, might be some bumps in the road with his swinging and missing. But, I mean, the power is there and the speed is definitely there. Uh, I went to the game on Tuesday at Camelback Ranch, and he legged out a triple. He flies around the bases. Wow. Um, okay. You know, so, I am super excited to see what he does. The White Sox have had kind of a, a gaping hole in center field for a while now. Um, but in addition to Robert, you, you brought in Yasmani Grandel right away in the big splash in the offseason, and he signed a White Sox record contract. And – Many fans were puzzled. Why do you bring in a catcher when you have a perfectly good all-star in James McCann? But, I mean, but it's track record. Right. And it's, and it's ability to handle a pitching staff. Um, Grandal's reputation for framing um, is definitely well-noted. Uh, there's power. There's patience. He drew 109 walks in 2019. Uh, the leading, leading walker on the White Sox had 44. Um, plate discipline definitely something has been lacking for this team for a while. Uh, and the same thing with power. And you're going to have a nice tandem. I mean, McCann is no slouch. He had a all-star season. Uh, he started out really hot, didn't really finish as hot. But you know what? A career year for him. He was respectable. Um, Lucas Giolito had a breakout season. Loved throwing to him. And how about this? The final play of the 2019 all-star game, was a Yasmani Grandal strikeout, and McCann was behind the plate. Wow. So, <laughs> so, so we added him, and then, then you had to shore up the pitching because there's a lot of youth. So you bring in both Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez. A pair of lefties, which they didn't really have any lefties. Uh, it was the first time they didn't have a lefty make 20 starts in the season since 1936. So the White Sox have always had their share of good lefties from Chris Sale to Mark early on back to John Danks and, and you have uh, I mean, Tommy John and Jim Cott and uh, Wilbur Wood and Billy yeah. Pierce. You go out throughout White Sox history, lefties galore. And so, you know, they're bringing in Keigel and he's not going to be that ace type. He's just going to be their mid in a uh, mid of the rotation veteran presence, right? Uh, which is very nice. Your guys like Giolito as well as guys like Cease, uh, Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech uh, young flamethrowers who haven't even scratched the surface yet. Right. So you have that, and you have even more power of Edwin Encarnacion, who the White Sox are able to get for a pretty reasonable deal because he's 37, but he has been consistently great. The only player in the majors to hit 30 or more homers each of the last eight seasons, and that's pretty impressive. So, and I think his skills will age pretty well. And yep. so I kind of wanted to circle back because you covered a lot of ground there. I want I want to circle back on a couple of things that you had mentioned. Um, so one of the the first things was uh, I kind of wanted to ask you about Keuchel. Um, you know, Keuchel's a guy who relies heavily on the batted ball, the you know, weak contact, ground ball. Um, are, are the White Sox, uh, you know, they? it's pretty clear they're counting on progression internally from some of their infielders, like Tim Anderson, like Moncada. 
Um, you know, do you think that was a conscious decision when they when they picked up Keuchel? You know, this was a team that kind of wasn't super strong defensively. Do you feel like that they that was uh, that they're going to be able to answer that this year? I think so. I, um, you have Anderson, who's shown flashes of brilliance, but he, he'll have some plays where he just you know makes a miscue, you know, makes his fair share of errors. Um, Mokata's solid third. Maybe the defensive metrics didn't love him, but watching him over the course of a year, I think he's just fine. Um, you have Nick Madrigal on the way, who won't probably won't start here in the majors, but he is a defensive wizard in second. Right. And, and, and a very intriguing player to watch going forward uh, with the bat as well. But what Keigel brings, though, is his ability to get ground balls. He led the league in ground ball percentage of anyone with at least 100 innings and, and that's a great antidote to the ball flying out the park right i think the uh, white Sox, particularly at home i think they're out homered by about 50 at home which is just crazy um and, and with the ball you don't know what ball you're gonna get but i have a pretty good idea that we're probably gonna get something closer to the crazy um the crazy baseball flying out of parks than the dead and ball I, yep. I kind of have a feeling that baseball really doesn't want to tinker with that because, well, I mean, home runs are good. Yeah, um, they put butts I, in the seats, right? Yeah, I, you know, there's different schools of thought on this. Um, but I like the fact that you have a ground, heavy ground ball pitcher. I think they can make enough of the plays. And if you get the balls, you know, I'd rather have a ball squeak through the infield because those are usually going to go for singles than a rocket in the outfield that a misplay can cost multiple bases. Right. So right. I, that's what I really like about Keiko. He kind of um, he kind of gives you that which he didn't have enough of last year. Sure. Uh, go ahead, yeah. Jim. Sorry. I, I I like it. I mean, I think it's a it's a it's where it needs to be when you got the juice ball, right? And if we're leaning on the fact that 2020 is going to be a lot more like 2019 and not so much like 2016 was or 2014 was with a baseball, then uh, ground ball pitchers. I mean, yeah, maybe the defense has got some work to do, but maybe that's just youth that was getting them. I mean, Moncada's only really two seasons under his belt. Um, and you got uh, – Eloy Jimenez out there in the outfield in his second year. I think that they're young. I think they're putting the right pieces around them, like you're saying. I mean, you bring in Encarnacion, you've got experience. You bring in Grandal, you've got experience. Uh, somebody that can actually draw a walk, right? Get that on-base percentage up, which the White Sox didn't really have last year. The batting average was there, but getting people on base wasn't. And uh, I think that's, you know, that kind of stuff can be infectious, right? So... Yeah, bring some uh, bring some discipline to the lineup. Yeah, um, they were so young. They were just, I mean, they, 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 so much talent was there last year. It just seemed like there wasn't a. It felt to me like there wasn't a harness there. I don't, I don't know how to really describe it. It felt like it was just all the all the all the tools were there. It's just that they just couldn't get it to right. to become something. I think it was just too young, but. I love the additions this year. I think it's ridiculous. I think Gio Gonzalez is going to have a really good year. I think he's an underrated addition. Chris, I wanted to ask you too, because to kind of piggybacking off what Jim said, there's one player we're talking a lot about, which is Johan Mancada. You know, obviously he hits the ball. I wanted to ask you about him and one we're not talking about so much, but like in terms of Mancada, 
I mean, this guy, 92, uh, 92 mile per hour exit velocity. It's it's good for some of the best in the league. Uh, for almost a 48% hard hit rate. I, as a guy who doesn't watch a ton of White Sox baseball, I've found that to be fascinating. And it, 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 you look at all the metrics, you look at all the numbers, and you think to yourself, could do you think this could be the year that we put him in this? Like you know, you constantly see the Acuna Soto conversation of young phenoms in the game. Like, do you do you feel like maybe? And I you don't hear Moncada's name brought up as much. Like since his prospect uh, pedigree may have like sort of faded a little bit, you just don't hear him in that conversation as much. Is this his coming out party this year to be part of that conversation? Oh, I, I think 2019 was somewhat of a coming out party. A little bit of the shine came off of his prospect uh, profile in 2018 because he struggled a lot. Um, he led the league in time striking out looking by a lot. Right. Um, this year, he really he became more aggressive at the plate, um, maybe partially because he hit second a lot more than he hit leadoff. And a second was a great spot for him. Um, I mean, the power was there. I expect to see even a little bit more. Not as many walks, but you could still see he's got excellent plate discipline. And he does hit the ball hard. And a lot of people point to the fact that he had a 406 batting average of balls in play, which is, I believe it's the highest since Rod Carew's 388 MVP season in 1977. Yes, that's right. So a lot of people are a little concerned about that. But I will come back with this. He hits the ball really hard, and he runs very well. And those are two things that will cause you to keep a high baseline Babbitt. Right. And I think, no, he's not going to have 406 again. And no, he maybe, maybe he'll hit in the high 290s rather than 315. But he has all the makings of a superstar. If you watch him play, he carries himself like a superstar. He has that kind of superstar um, aura to him. He has a beautiful swing, and he's just—I think he's—he's going to be the best player on this team going forward. Right, and that'll bring more national attention too to the conversation, uh, which will, yeah, which will put him in those conversations more often. Um, You know, I wanted so I wanted to ask you also about a player we're not talking a lot about, and I'm super, I'm I'm always interested in pitchers with insanely bad ERAs that teams just continue to run out every five days. And I think you know who I'm getting to here. I wanted to ask you about Reynaldo Lopez. And I kind of wanted to know, like, I kind of, I went on, you know, baseball savant, kind of looked up and I, and I wonder, this is a guy who throws his fastball almost 60% of the time. And I wonder, do you, th- and then the next closest is his slider, his curveball rate. He th- barely throws it. Uh, I'm just wondering, is this a guy who just needs to develop a second pitch? Cause he seems like he could be a really critical part of the back end of this rot- of this ever growing rotation. You show me a rotation that stays healthy all year. I'll show you a, I don't know, a short season team. So do, do you – I'm wondering what your thoughts are on Reynaldo Lopez. Yeah, I mean, it's, he finished 2018 like he was going to be the ace of the staff. And it looked like – what he looked like entering, ending this season is what Giolito looked like ending 2018. There was a complete reversal of fortunes. Right. Um, 
I, I don't want to say, hey, everyone's going to do that because that's just foolish. But the thing is with Lopez, what Lopez does is he can have flashes of brilliance. He had a 14-strikeout game last year, so you know he can do it. And one of the things he's able to do on a consistent basis is get a lot of pop-up outs. So that's promising. I mean, but, but I mean, he will serve up some long balls. Um, I think the general knock on him has often been his um, his concentration. Um, I think there's still there's some untapped potential in there. It's way too early to give up on him. Right. Um, they're definitely going to give him a full year to figure this thing out. Um, worst case scenario, maybe a tinker with him in the bullpen because he can bring it upper 90s. Right. And if he were to max effort, he might even be able to nibble at 100. So, um, no, it, it's way too early to count him out. I'm very interested to see what he's able to do this season because I've seen the Ronaldo Lopez who can dominate. Yeah, and, it, uh, it almost I makes... Yeah. It almost makes you wonder, like, if he could string together, because last year, I think it was, I don't have the exact numbers in front, I want to say it was like 160 innings of ERA in the sixes. I mean, if you were to bring that down, even just to the mid to low fours, I mean, that's a that's a sustainable back end of the rotation arm to go with Keuchel, to go with Giolito, to go with, uh, you know, even Gonzalez. I think, like Jim, I agree. I think Gonzalez is primed to have a, a pretty decent year this year. Um, you know, I, I and then, you know, Decease and Kopech, you got a lot of upside there, you know. And then the, it almost seemed like when the Twins signed Donaldson, from a national standpoint, again, as somebody who's not in Chicago, it almost seemed like the the air kind of came out of the balloon just a little bit, where it was like, oh, well, the White Sox are the clear favorite, and then the Twins signed Donaldson. It was like, well, you know, the Twins, you know, they may not regress as much as we think. You know, what do you think about that? Well, I think everyone's kind of thinking, yeah, the Twins hit 307 home runs this past season. They went up for 141 more from the season before. And you're not going to hit 300 homers again. Right. And they, prob- they probably aren't, but they've got a lot of talent there, and, that, and that's a lineup to be feared. Uh, I think the biggest knock, at least, you know, when you're talking around people around here, is the Twins just didn't do quite enough to improve their pitching. I mean, sure, they brought in Kenta Maeda. Um Jake Odorizzi, I don't think, is going to have quite that season again. That was a career year for him. Right. And beyond that, well, Barrios, I don't know. I've always thought Barrios could be a Cy Young contender, but he just quite hasn't been able to put it together for a full year. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what though? There's not a whole lot. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna take a flyer on Rich Hill and Homer Bailey, and yep. I don't know. But it's 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 a good effort to see. Um, it, it, I think. Yeah, I think the Twins probably still win this division. Um, but the White Sox, I think what you should be hoping for and expecting with the White Sox is another, I think if you get another at least 10-win jump, um, you know, from 72 to 82, I feel good about that. Okay. Because it's going to still take some time for development. You still have a lot of young players, especially these pitchers. I mean, the pitching last year is ultimately what did them in the most. Um, I think power, the lack of power in the pitching. Because if you take a look at 
Giolito, who we barely even talked about in a breakout season. Um, 29 starts for him, 341 ERA. I think everybody else, everybody else had like a 560 ERA for everybody else combined whose name was not Giolito. So, uh, but you've done so much to improve that. So you expect a lot of improvement. Still, I mean, 72 wins, I think to be reasonable, 10 wins is probably what you should be happy with if the White Sox get it. Now, who knows? Who knows? It could do better. But I think 80, mid, you know, low 80s, 80, 82, 84 wins to me is a reasonable target. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, what you can expect realistically out of it. And But, I mean, at least when you talk like that, you can say, okay, I feel comfortable thinking that this is a team that's an above 500 team. But once you put it in that, right, now you're just really six games away from a wild card spot, right? If you're talking an 82-win team, 88's kind of the a ticket into that second wild card, right? And uh, and now all of a sudden that hope's right there, right? Now all of a sudden uh, fan bases are a lot happier. Uh, they, they've got something to go for because it's been a – it's been a rough run, right? I mean, asking when, uh, you know, Han was going to be able to get the get the money spent, get the people on the field. I know there was a big push to try to get Machado last year, uh, and that didn't go through. And so seeing this year and how it's played out, just the White Sox fans that I see floating around on my Twitter, it's exciting, right? Because I don't think they're over the top with it thinking that it's a it's a world series team or anything like that but there's at least a little bit of uh hesitation when they say this team can't make the playoffs there's they believe that there's a little bit of a chance there is i love well, it don't forget, don't forget that you know we'll gauge how we're gonna how we're doing here by the time the trade deadline hits um they'll be ready to add yeah so, there's and they've know, got a they've got a lot in the farm system too if if they felt like they wanted to to move that contention window up a little bit because i mean is the expectation around town that this is the sort of just the beginning just the opening of a sort of window of contention um well i think they look at it this way you're done with the um rebuilding phase and now you're now you're looking to start competing so that's where you're at um and the window is there and and it's built pretty firmly. I mean, you have um, Robert is on a, on a nice long deal um, that yep. they signed to you know to get past all the uh, service time stuff. They did the same thing last year with Menace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that those are two core pieces right there. Um, I mean, there's been some whispers that talks have been started with Mankata for the same. Um, then you have you know guys like Kopech and Cease who they're just scratching the surface at the beginning of their major league careers, so they'll be here for a while. Uh, they did a nice, nice extension with reliever Aaron Bummer, who was one of the breakout stars of this past season. Um, second lowest slugging percentage against of any anybody with at least 50 innings, um, and he's got nasty stuff. All it's all moving, so you're getting some guys that'll be on the team for a while yeah. and uh, Rick Hahn is one of his biggest strengths as a GM is being creative with these deals and uh, finding a way to make things fit work um, making it appealing for the player to be here uh, he's really good at, at 
making contracts and, and figuring out what makes the most sense and making it, you know, creatively figuring out a way to keep players here for a while or bring players in. So I think um, the White Sox are set up to be good for quite a while. And, um, there's, yeah, like you said, there's still some guys in the, in the minors. Uh, Andrew Vaughn is a very intriguing prospect. Number three overall pick in the draft in 2019. Um, Golden Spikes winner in 2018 with California, where he had more home runs than strikeouts. He's that kind of hitter. <laughs> a lot of walks. Um, the kind of tantalizing first baseman prospect that, well, first baseman don't usually go that high, but that first baseman that you want, power and patience. Right. No, it's, 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 it's a team that I just, to me from an, and again, from a, a guy who doesn't, is not in the Chicago market. I wouldn't say it's overnight, but like it was, it was a pretty swift, like the addition of Grandal. It's like, oh, okay, you know, hey, they've got a nice veteran to go with the core. And then Keiko comes in and it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. Like it's an exciting time, I imagine, for, for White Sox fans. It is. And it's, it's crazy to think that it was only 15 years ago when they won the World Series. And you hear about the Dodgers, how it's been over 30 years for them. And we've done it half as more recently as they have. <laughs> They've got all the money in the world. And, uh, but but we're, we're on the right track. I think fans are here are just ecstatic. And, you know, I don't think you hear much World Series talk, but you know you're headed in the right direction. And that's just really exciting because yeah. it's different. The White Sox had never been a team to tear it all down and go, you know, just do a rebuild. They've always been kind of a retooling on the fly, especially under Kenny Williams' GM. So this is all different for the White Sox fandom, and and it's it's new and it's interesting and it's it's exciting for the run along. And let's see the payoff here in the coming seasons. Yeah, and I think that something that doesn't even really get talked about too much with the White Sox is the bullpen either, right? I mean, that doesn't seem like that's a bad crew out there. I mean, that seems pretty solid with Colome, Bummer, and C-Sheck, right? Uh, yeah. It's a good mix out there of solid arms, I mean, that, that that can hold down that lead. So making those adjustments on the pitching staff at the front end was great. But, I mean, that, that bullpen's nothing to really say, hey, they can't do the gig, right? I mean, it's built to to do his job even kelvin herrera you know it's not i know he's had his struggles but it's not too in the distant past that he was a dominant reliever herrera was never quite um fully healthy and recovered last year he got his footing at the very end and he looked really good at the tail end so i think it'd be interesting to see what he can do for a full season of being healthy Uh, so you have him he's kind of like a forgotten guy Colome uh, was a pretty solid, you know, pretty solid guy for the ninth inning last year. Um, I'd like to see a few more strikeouts, but, you know, he, he did fine. Yeah. Uh, bummers, nasty stuff. Seashack uh, is a great addition. Uh, that funky side armor that, you know, it's when you bring him in, it's going to be different than what you just saw previously, which I love. Yeah. Um, guys like Evan Marshall was their breakout star. One of their breakout finds last year out of spring training, a little, you know, he's been in the league a while, but he just figured it out and it was an excellent addition. Uh, same with Jimmy Cordero, is you know, he comes out there with one of his sleeves rolled up, he 
definitely catches your eye there. Um, he was a really solid pickup. I mean, bullpens, you're always going to have one or two guys. Every good team has those one or two guys that are going to come out of nowhere to, to, to be good, and you never expect them to. Um, but you're, you can also have a few guys that you expect to be part of your guy, uh, you know, bullpen mix fall off. It's such a lot of variance in, in bullpen. So you always have to keep your eye open um, for talent. And s- spring training is always important for identifying those guys. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see who stands out um, because, they, you know, they've added a few guys. Um, Tyron Guerrero, um, the Marlins let him go. Uh, throws over 100, but he doesn't know where it's going. But right. <laughs> they get a look at him. And then there's a few other guys you get a look at. And you know, what do they have? You know, find those hidden gems. Right. You have to continually be on the lookout for those hidden gems. Right. I agree. Yeah. I think the White Sox, I mean, the way they're built now have have really shown that if you're not trying to hoard some of that international pool money, you're probably not really doing yourself any favors, right? I mean, this is a team that's got the possibility that it's going to roll a lineup out there, um, you know, probably five or six or seven, maybe even ten times this year. But there isn't going to be an American-born player standing on that field when the game starts. Right. I mean, yeah. That's um, it. That's rare. With the, with the exception of Tim Anderson, short, really, right? Yeah, right. Or, yeah. or when, if Madrigal comes, gets in here, Madrigal as well. Um, yep. But that's it, though. Yeah, it, it's great, though. I, I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, the White Sox have, you know, have that history and, and the heritage with Cuban stars. And I love the fact that Abreu, Robert, uh, and Moncada are bringing that into the next decade here. And, um, and, you know, get the best players on the field. And then the White Sox certainly have a pretty formidable lineup. You're sitting there trying to draw up a lineup for this team. It's like, wow, we even had a luxury of this. Right. It's kind of <laughs> in some time, and it's exciting. You can go a bunch of different ways. And, and you know, everyone has their own uh, Ideas, things that they yeah. like about lineups. But, uh, you know, uh, as long as you got all those guys in there, let's go. That's right. Well, well, Chris, I, I, I can't help but notice you have arrived at your residence. Uh, we, we really, uh, really appreciate you joining us tonight and this week on the show. Uh, where, what's next for you? Are you headed back to headed back to Arizona? Yeah, we're headed back to Arizona. Um, our next broadcast, our spring broadcast schedule resumes on March 13th. The White Sox play the Cubs at Camelback Ranch. Um, we've got five more spring broadcasts on NBC Sports Chicago. I'm really thrilled this year to join the team as the full-time associate producer. And so it, we have so much fun doing these games. Jason Benetti and Steve Stone are just unbelievable to work awesome. with stones stone is a treasure steve stone is a treasure he is a he is a hall of fame caliber broadcaster the, to be able to do games with harry carey then hawk harrelson and now jason Benetti. what a diverse group of guys to work with and to be able to be excellent with each one of them the guy he he can tell you what's going to happen before it happens he, he has psychic abilities we're all convinced of it yeah, <laughs> he's just kind of like he's. He seems like he's having such a good time doing what he's doing, and he's just uh, he's a wonderful guy. And I, you know, I can't be more proud to work with these guys. That's yeah. awesome. Well, That's great. Yeah, congratulations on the uh, on the gig this year. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you're going to be working with the team more than you have been in the past, traveling more, uh, giving that 
chance to bring more to the table for for the the fans, right? For the everybody else, they get to see the the numbers and the graphics that you're going to be putting up. So, yeah, it's a plus for the rest of us. Absolutely, it's, uh, it's so much fun to challenge myself to figure out. All right, what interesting and entertaining things can we put up there today? And and we challenge ourselves to do it. And you know, you get the reactions out of people, and it's so much fun to do. Um, and, and sitting at the hotel rooms the night before, digging up you know, whatever it is. And I, I love it. I love yeah. it. I'm excited to do a lot more of it this year. Excellent. I went to the, I went to the South side a couple summers ago and just even going to the stadium for a couple games, right? The, the numbers that you guys are able to get across the big board up there um, is unlike the other stadiums that I go to. You guys do a, a wonderful job of delivering those numbers, right? Just even in just simple form on the, on the billboard right? on the big board. So yeah, uh, keep doing it. Okay, so the the scoreboard that's that's not me. That's, uh, that a lot of the stuff you see the scoreboard. See, I do the TV, um, yeah. in the TV broadcast. But the scoreboard stuff, that's my buddy Socks Nerd, Dave Marin. He's oh, at, oh, okay. at Socks Nerd, one of the most brilliant and passionate fans you will ever meet. The guy is the guy comes up with stuff that is just so entertaining. Everything in the world he can tie it to white Sox baseball give him a follow at socks nerd s-o-x-n-e-r-d he's the mastermind behind those all right stuff and uh, i can't recommend him enough especially white Sox fans but all baseball fans that's awesome well yeah excellent and and camelback ranch right are there actually horses and cows running around i've never been there none i've seen but it's a gorgeous park <laughs> uh, I, when they when the angels are in town, there's at least one goat, right? Right. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> well, listen, Chris, we, we, we thank you so much for joining us. You've been very generous with your time. And uh, we're going we're gonna to follow you and your adventures uh, through Arizona. And, um, and, again, we just can't thank you enough for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to do it. Uh, maybe we'll do it again. I look yeah. forward to it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that'd be great. I look forward to catching up with you when you get up to Seattle in August. Oh, I, I hope I'm able to make it. There's a chance that I might not be able to, and the reason is uh, I might be on paternity leave then. So it's another fun wrinkle to this season coming yeah. up for me. <laughs> we got, did we just get breaking news? Because I ain't seen that come across your Twitter feed. Yeah, it's true. Uh, we're expecting probably around July 21st, which happens to be CC Sabathia's 40th birthday, just as I was born on Ron Santos' 40th birthday. Um, which I think I, that's yeah. I think that's uh, that's poetic. That's po that's poetic right there. How can that's, you not be romantic about baseball, right? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I got a little breaking news too, but yeah, I'm gonna probably be able to get my kid out a few weeks before your kid gets out. So. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, we found out not too long ago on our end. I haven't broke that on Twitter yet either. So I guess we'll find out who's listening to this podcast, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, hey, uh, best of luck to you, man. And, uh, and we're going to be following you all the way through. So thanks so much. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, congratulations again.